so do it Lord what she was just playing revive us again that is the truth good to see you it's been good to worship already and now we worship through the preaching of the word let me ask you to please take your Bible and turn in the Old Testament to the book of first Kings chapter 21 I'm thinking about the Lord's Supper this morning I'm thinking about Preaching the gospel. Here in a bit, we'll, um, in a few minutes, we'll look at our primary text, but this text is where we'll spend the most time. And that again is 1 Kings chapter 21. That, of course, is going to be much closer to the beginning of your Bible than it is to the end. I know for most of you I don't need to tell you this, but I will remind you that what we're about to do in the reading of Scripture um, really is every bit as important as what comes after in the sermon. So it's not just, uh, well, let's get through this and pray and then get into the, get into the sermon. But this, this is it. Uh, so look with me at verse 1 of 1 Kings 21. It says this, Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house. And I will give you a better vineyard for it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. 1 Kings 21 verse 7. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him saying, you have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. 
As it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. And then verses 15 and 16. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you're physically able, could you stand with me for prayer? Let's pray. O oh Lord, we have not yet come to this table that our King, our risen and ascended Lord Jesus, spreads for us this morning. But we do come even now with anticipation. And we do say, come Lord Jesus. And we do earnestly pray, Lord, what we just heard during the offering music. Revive us again. O oh Lord, have mercy. In judgment, remember mercy. Lord, if we get what we deserve, we all get your wrath. But we pray that in judgment, remember mercy. Help us, Lord, of course, by your grace only. Help us, Lord, to truly repent of our sin and of our sins, plural. Lord, lead us in confession. Humble us, Lord, under your mighty hand, for we know that your word tells us, Lord, that you Give grace to the humble, Lord. You oppose the proud. Lord, help us. Lord, you tell us clearly in Romans chapter 8 that you will not withhold anything good from us because you have given us your Son who bled and died for us. Speak to us through your Word. Even this morning we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you remain standing... My dear brothers and sisters, the Bible says, and you don't have to turn there, this should be on the screen, the Bible says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. This is Hebrews 13.5. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And again, take Note of the middle part of that verse, Hebrews 13.5, be content with what you have. So last week, we looked at all of Hebrews 13, and today, just, just one verse with really an extended illustration. Why don't you have a seat? The big picture of what we want to see this morning 
Um, just to tell you where we're going, the really big picture is that we'll first of all see a picture of covetousness or coveting, and then we'll notice contentment. So secondly, we'll notice contentment. First of all, as far as the big picture goes, we will see a graphic, very vivid illustration of covetousness or coveting. We're thinking this morning, if you want a title for this sermon, about Naboth's Vineyard and Contentment. Naboth's Vineyard and Contentment. In the 1700s, there was this English pastor named Dr. Stonehouse. He was passing through Salisbury Plain in England, and he was fearful of the appearance of the sky. This pastor came upon a shepherd named David Saunders and asked him what sort of weather it would be the next day. The shepherd replied, It will be such weather as pleases me. The pastor was surprised by that answer and asked him how that could be. Because, replied the shepherd, it will be such weather as shall please God, and whatever pleases him always pleases me. Sky looks foreboding. Hey, shepherd, what do you think the weather's going to be tomorrow? The weather will be what pleases me. That may sound a little extra or super spiritual. Maybe it is. Or maybe it's just that it implicitly condemns our lack of true spirituality. As this shepherd in this true story hundreds of years ago said, I don't know, it will be whatever pleases God and that is what pleases me. The first thing that we see this morning, hopefully with our Bibles open in 1 Kings chapter 21, the first thing that we notice um, I'm going to have four of these, all right? So number one is you shall not covet. You shall not covet. The, uh, the New Testament says those words in the New Covenant. You shall not covet. Think of Romans 7, 7, which of course is based upon the 10th commandments. Of the, of the 10 commandments, the 10th is, if you abbreviate it, it's you shall not covet. That's my first point this morning. So look at this with me. Look at 1 Kings chapter 21. I don't know if you're familiar with this story at all. It's really a wow type of story. Look at it again. Now Naboth, as some might say it, Naboth, I've been saying Naboth, now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Now get this story, pay close attention. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I might have it for a vegetable garden, because it's near my house, and it's not a completely unreasonable request, because he goes on to say, I'll give you a better vineyard for it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. I don't think Naboth is in any way being nasty here. He just has a conviction about his land. The Bible does not speak against owning personal property. Verse 4, 
And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. Friends, number one, the Bible says, uh, it also says to us, because even if we were to say, well, you know, we don't do, we don't pay attention to the Ten Commandments, which we shouldn't say that. We see this both in the Old and in the New. We see it clearly in the New Covenant multiple times. You shall not covet. And even as we've noticed Hebrews 13, which speaks about the opposite, what would the opposite be? That would be contentment. Here in 1 Kings 21, we see what could not be a clearer illustration of coveting. You might know the story already, or this might be the first time. It's really an excellent story. It's a brutally sad story. It's it's shocking in many ways. And it basically goes like this, boys and girls. You have different key players, right? You've got Ahab, who is the king. You've got his wife Jezebel. You've got this, this local farmer, Naboth. And then, of course, most importantly, you have the Lord God. And you have this envy. I just saw a, a, a new title that's been released. I don't haven't read this book. It's a brand new title. It's something to the effect of envy, the sin you didn't know, you didn't realize that that you had so much of. That that all of us can be gripped by envy, and we can be gripped unawares. And so what we see here is King Ahab, Ahab the king, sees this this vineyard right adjacent, right next to his palace. It belongs to a man named. Naboth and he he covets. You know, not all desire is wrong. Desire in and of itself is is neutral, but there is of course such a thing as inordinate desire. There's a good desire and then there's a bad desire. And this is coveting. Desiring something that you could never get or you could never get by rightful means like like I desire this other guy's wife. That's never going to be okay. There's no allowance for that. And this is a clear illustration of coveting. Naboth, hey, let me give you money in exchange for your vineyard, or let me give you a better tract of land. Uh, Let me help you out here because I would like your vineyard. I'm sure this won't be any problem. And Naboth says, probably thinking back to the fact that God has rescued his people, and God has given them the inheritance, which is the promised land. Naboth says, sorry, I can't do this. This is the land of my fathers. This is something that I won't do. And and have you ever seen a, a, a child sometimes act like a child and just, just pout? It's something else when you see a grown man just, just pout. And so it says here in verse 4 of 1 Kings 21, look at verse 4, Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite said to him. And if you glance back at the last verse of chapter 20, 1 Kings 20, 43, and the king of Israel went to his house 
vexed and sullen. Well, this guy was given to pouting. Look at verse 5. Back in chapter 21. Verse 5. Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give give me your vineyard for money or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard. And, And he said, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, in verse 7 said to him, Are you the king? Are, Are you the king of Israel? This was a, uh, a weak man and not a weak woman. A weak man who is retreating to his bed, as we saw there in verse 4, that he lay down on his bed and turned his face away and would eat no food. Uh, it's funny, you hear recently in the news and about basketball teams from Greenville and from Kinston and this big fight and both schools are going to press charges. And it's funny about how you can get so upset about something that is, at the end of the day, really trivial. It's not that it doesn't have some importance. Maybe he really likes the vineyard and he really wants the vineyard. But at the end of the day, you're the king. I mean, at the end of the day, big deal. And he gets so upset. And remember that the Word of God is a mirror to our souls. So when the Bible says in the New Covenant and in the Tenth of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20.17, you shall not covet, it is a mirror to our souls. Friend, let me tell you this today. We are a fallen people who live in a fallen world. And we do sin, all of us in this fallen world, we sin by the sin of envy even though the number one sin is that we don't live according to the promise of God. What do I mean by that? The promise of God that says, Dear believer, I am enough for you. Dear believer, I am more than enough for you. So envy and covetousness is a bad, sinful symptom of the greater disease that we as Christians do not embrace God as our all-sufficient treasure, when He promises to us, I am enough. This is our sin. We see that you shall not covet. Number two. Number two. The greatest sinner in the world can find mercy. Now, There's 29 verses here in 1 Kings chapter 21. And I've already mentioned you've got the different players, right? Think about the theater stage. You've got Ahab, but this is a true story. You've got Jezebel. She's not weak. He's weak. You've got Naboth. You've got the Lord God. And I just want to say to you here, number two, and I'll just leave this and we'll come back back to it a little bit later the greatest sinner in the world can find mercy. Just a little hint, you read later in this passage and it says King Ahab is basically the worst king ever. He's a bad dude, okay? We'll come back to that. I want to sound that gospel note loud and clear right now. 
Jesus Christ came to save sinners. The greatest sinner in the world can find mercy. Number three. Number three. Let's think here in just a minute about some excellent statements or some excellent quotes to teach us the meaning of this passage. Well, in verse 7, if you'll look there with me again, in verse 7, Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I, emphasis, I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Oh, poor hubby. Let me do your dirty work for you. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, verse 8, and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth and his city. And she wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him saying, I mean, if you're trekking with this, this, this is this is terrible. This is awful. This is a kangaroo court saying you have cursed God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. This is the letterhead. This is the letterhead of King Ahab. This is the writing of Jezebel. She's directing Naboth's leaders, the nobles and the leaders in Naboth's area. Hey, we're going to do this with great legality. We're going to do it all legal. It's all going to be on the up and up. Listen to me. Because there's going to be two witnesses. It's going to be perfect. There's going to be two witnesses. We're even going to make it spiritual. We're going to proclaim a fast day. We're going to make it religious. Proclaim a fast. Put Naboth at the head of the table. Have two witnesses. Let's do this right. Have him come and make false accusations against him. And then do what you're supposed to do when a man is condemned like this. Kill him. You read later on and you find out that not only does she have him killed, but his sons as well. And so, verse 11, the men of his city... I mean, they're biological males, but can you call them men? And you call King Ahab a man for the way he's been acting. The men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. As it is, as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, verse 12, they proclaimed a fast, set Naboth at the head of the people, and the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people. Naboth, he's cursed God and the king. When, of course, he had done no such thing, so they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He's dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, she said to Ahab, Get up, arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Let me give you some key statements, some key quotes to help teach us, to help to instruct us as to the meaning of this story. Already I've set before us our primary text, Hebrews 13.5. We'll get there in a minute. We'll get there in a minute. But what is the meaning of this story? Let me give you some key statements. And the ones from Scripture, of course, will be the most important. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you 
as though something strange were happening to you. That's 1 Peter 4.12. That helps us with the meaning of this text. 1 Peter 4.12. Listen carefully. Here's another wonderful statement. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 7. You don't have to turn to any of these. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 7. God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. We don't have time this morning. If we really had time to go into the second part of this story this morning, you see that a big deal of this story is God coming in judgment. There's been all of this Baal worship. There's been all of this idolatry. And now on top of it all, which God's judgment was already poised to come, we see if you just keep reading that God's judgment will come. Even though Naboth dies, the scripture is clear. God is for his people. God will give justice to his people. What we just read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it's not in our timetable. It's not according to the calendar that we may like. But when Jesus comes with his angels in all of his glory, he will repay with affliction those who afflict you. There is judgment in this story, and praise God, there's also mercy. I was just thinking, uh, even this morning, we, we preach the holiness of God here. But that's not the only thing we preach. That is a primary attribute of God. We also preach the holy love of God. God is love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to, to die for us. We preach the holy love of God. And really, that's what you see in 1 Kings chapter 21. You see the judgment of God and mercy in the midst of judgment. Just a few more quotes. Listen to these. Injustice. Injustice flourishes. Not only by wickedness, but by weakness. Not merely from a lack of goodness, but by a lack of guts. That's Dale Ralph Davis. Listen to it again. Injustice flourishes not only by wickedness, but by weakness. Not merely from a lack of goodness, but by a lack of guts. Or if you like, here's another way of saying that. Not all evil is done by bad people. But much damage is done by those who let them get away with it. Here's another quote as I studied this passage from Bob Fial. God loves mercy and offers it even to those who seem to have gone beyond the limit. Friend, I don't know where you are this morning. If there would be true repentance of your sin based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, who sent His Son. God sent His Son to die for us. God crushed His Son so that all who repent of their sin receive forgiveness and mercy. Here's another one. God's servants often have to walk the way of false accusation and even death as their Lord did. God does not promise that you will be vindicated the way we think about vindication in this life. Nevertheless, all of God's people will be vindicated because Christ Jesus, His Son, has been vindicated in His resurrection. The people who follow Jesus often have to walk the path of Jesus 
which is the way of the cross. And so all of these quotes, you can explain 1 Kings 21 by looking at 1 Peter 4.12. You can explain it by looking at 2 Thessalonians 1 or Luke 18.7. But the best way to explain this passage ultimately is this. Listen. Chief priests and the whole council sought false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said lies. That's what's called Matthew's Passion Account, Matthew 26, 59 through 61. And we see there very similarly, are you with me? We see very similarly two false witnesses, an innocent victim, in this case, perfectly innocent. What has been called a kangaroo court, you know what that is. It still happens today. So even in a small way, there is a picture pointing forward to the gospel. One thing incidentally that you see in this passage is that it's not, listen to me, it's not sinful to have some distrust of the government. I think I get like really great amens if I said it's not sinful to have a lot of distrust of the government. I'll just say it's not sinful to have a little bit of distrust of the government. So the true story is told of two young female students. This happened many years ago in Wisconsin who advertised for a third roommate to share their private residence. They rejected one applicant who told them she was a lesbian. Because of that, they were forced by the State Human Rights Commission to pay the lesbian applicant $1,500 for causing her distress. The commission also ordered a public letter of apology and required the two girls to attend a re-education class taught by homosexuals, who was behind that power play? The Wisconsin Human Rights Commission. So Davis says this. He says, ordinarily we are to submit to government. Always we should beware of it. Ordinarily we are to submit to government. He wrote this way before COVID. Always we should be aware of it. We see clearly here in this passage, we see clearly here the government's and injustice. And of course, we should think about the persecuted church around the world this morning, even as we think about Naboth. Number one, you shall not covet. Number two, the greatest sinner in the world can find mercy. Number three, some quotes to help teach us the meaning of this, mainly the scripture quotes. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? I tell you, he will answer them speedily. Number four, be content with what you have. First Kings chapter 21 is uh, really in many ways a perfect illustration of the king of Israel breaching the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet. It is a sad story. 
of a powerful, utterly sinful woman picking up for this pouty king, sending a letter to men who do her bidding so that, so that Naboth ultimately, like Jesus Christ, is accused by two witnesses to keep things on the up and up. But it's all a sham. It's all a kangaroo court. And he dies and where's the justice? And the justice comes. Turn with me to Hebrews 13.5 as we close. Hebrews chapter 13. Turn with me there as we close. This, of course, is near the end of the Bible. Desire itself is, is desire. Out of bounds desire, inordinate desire is coveting, is greed, is envy. There's also a good desire. There's also good desire. Like a child may want a bicycle and plans and saves for that bike. Or a family wants a house and it's within their means so they plan and save for a house that they need. Uh, we need to be careful not to just say desire is wrong. This all boils down, doesn't it, to covetousness and contentment. This all boils down to contentment and to its opposite, covetousness. Hebrews 13, verse 5. The writer comes to us and he says, Keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even as believers, we are called saints by God in the New Testament, but we live in a fallen world. And as believers who live in a fallen world, the number one thing for which we're guilty is that we don't live according to the promise of God when he says to us, I will be with you. And, and a manifestation of that is a lack of contentment. And so look again at Hebrews 13.5. Be content with what you have for, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Where has he said that? Actually in many places in the Bible. If you keep reading in verse 6, he says, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? There's that perennial old sin that rears its head again, the fear of man. Here's this letter from King Ahab. It's got Ahab's letterhead on it. I think they knew it was from Jezebel. And they said, let's do what she says because we have comfortable lives. I've got a minivan and I've got a house and I don't want to ruffle the waters. Let's just do what she says. Let's kill Naboth. Let's kill his sons too so that nobody can claim the inheritance. Again, that's a little bit later on, ten chapters later. Let's make a clean sweep of this thing. The fear of man is a snare, but the Bible comes with these promises in verse 6, which is Psalm 118. Verse 6 is Psalm 118. 
Hebrews 13.5 is not quoting just one verse, it's quoting multiple verses like Joshua 1.5, Deuteronomy 31, two times in that chapter. The end of verse 5, He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Dear brother and sister, is that enough for you? If you're a Christian, it is. It must be. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And on the grounds of that promise, be content with what you have. Keep your life free from the love of money. I close with one of my favorite teachers on Christian ethics, Wayne Grudem. I just found this so helpful and I just wanted to share it with you if you would find it helpful as well. Maybe you can tell me later. I don't know. I'll just close with this before we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. How do you distinguish between right and wrong desires? How do you distinguish between right and wrong desires? You better know, right? If you desire another woman's husband, that is by definition sinful. But if you desire a house for your family and you plan and save, that may not be sinful at all. So as you think about where we've been this morning, you shall not covet. That was number one. You shall not covenant. covet. Number four was be content with what you have. He just gives these three guidelines, and then I'm done. How do you distinguish between right and wrong desires? Is this desire based on morally right planning for the future, acquisition of some item, or is it based on a morally wrong longing for something you could never reasonably hope to acquire in a right way? Is this desire for something God wants you to have and has given you an ability to obtain, like becoming an elder in the church? Or is it a longing for something that God does not want you to have and has not given you the ability to obtain? Can you take some morally right actions to begin to move toward obtaining the thing that you desire? Or are there no morally right actions that would reasonably result in you obtaining this? Like, let me work to see that their marriage dissolves so that I can weasel my way in. May God help us. And may He help us to remember, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this quotation here from the Psalms. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Lord, help us not to follow the example of Ahab, of Jezebel. Help us to be prepared to follow in the steps of Naboth, which is to follow in the steps of Christ. And help us to rest in your judgments, knowing that you say, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.